you'll open your Bibles to Genesis chapter 20. Now there's not much more excitement than Randy up here as a farmer talking about snowfall, so I'll, I'll try to keep that enthusiasm that he has set as a standard for us. But uh, I want to start off with a, just a hypothetical question that you can answer inside your own head. What, if I were to ask you, what is the most frustrating part of Christianity? The most frustrating part. I'm going to give you my answer, but I'm going to start with what isn't. The most frustrating part of Christianity for me is not, of course, the Lord God himself. He has been the only perfect constant in my life. His unfailing love, his faithfulness, uh, everything that I lean on on a daily basis. The most frustrating part is not his word, for it is fully sufficient to reveal for me uh, everything I need to live a godly life being reconciled to him in Christ. The most frustrating thing is not other people, though that temptation sometimes lies in my flesh to say so. But there, there lies the most frustrating part of Christianity, me. Not the grace of God in me, but the flesh that still remains. For how can I hear about unrighteousness according to God's word, be convicted in my heart of it, repent of it where I confess it to the Lord and I turn away from it and I praise him for his forgiveness and then the next day I go and do that same thing again. Are you with me? <laughs> that for me is the most frustrating part of Christianity. And praise the Lord it's not forever. Because I, I thought of this because as I'm reading Genesis chapter 20, I'm thinking, haven't I read this already? Haven't we done this before? Genesis chapter 12 is almost exactly the same story of Abraham doing the same dumb thing. And I go, why is it in the Bible? And God says, why are you doing the same things every single day? Abraham does this very same thing, impossibly messy situation he gets himself into. And here we are, 20 to 25 years after that event, and he's doing it again. He is a righteous man. God has declared that of him. By faith, he has been declared righteous, and we've seen him do some incredible things of faith. He is commended in the New Testament as a man of great faith with eyes set on a city that hasn't been built yet and, and looking ahead to the eternal. And yet, in this life, being a righteous man, he still has the flesh and it still hangs on him and it still holds him back. And I go, praise the Lord, God recorded this for me because I'm struggling every day too. So follow along with me as I read this chapter. Genesis chapter 20, verse 1. And then we'll see what this means for us today. From there, Abraham journeyed toward the territory of the Negev and lived between Kadesh and Shur. And he sojourned in Gerar. And Abraham said of Sarah, his wife, she is my sister. And Abimelech, king of Gerar, sent and took Sarah. But God came to Abimelech in a dream by night and said to him, 
Behold, you are a dead man because of the woman whom you have taken, for she is a man's wife. Now Abimelech had not approached her. So he said, Lord, will you kill an innocent people? Did he not say, did he not himself say to me, she is my sister? And she herself said, he is my brother. In the integrity of my heart and in the innocence of my hands, I have done this. Then God said to him in the dream, yes, I know that you have done this in the integrity of your heart. And it was I who kept you from sinning against me. Therefore, I did not let you touch her. Now then, return the man's wife, for he is a prophet, so that he will pray for you, and you shall live. But if you do not return her, know that you shall surely die, you and all who are yours. So Abimelech rose early in the morning and called all his servants and told them all these things, and the men were very much afraid. Then Abimelech called Abraham and said to him, What have you done to us? And how have I sinned against you that you have brought on me and my kingdom a great sin? You have done to me things that ought not to be done. And Abimelech said to Abraham, What did you see that you did this thing? Abraham said, I did it because I thought there is no fear of God at all in this place, and they will kill me because of my wife. Besides, she is indeed my sister, the daughter of my father, though not the daughter of my mother, and she became my wife. And when God caused me to wander from my father's house, I said to her, This is the kindness you must do me. At every place to which we come, say of me, He is my brother. Then Abimelech took sheep and oxen and male servants and female servants and gave them to Abraham and returned Sarah his wife to him. And Abimelech said, Behold, my land is before you. Dwell where it pleases you. To Sarah he said, Behold, I have given you, your brother, a thousand pieces of silver. It is a sign of your innocence in the eyes of all who are with you, and before everyone you are vindicated. Then Abraham prayed to God, and God healed Abimelech, and also healed his wife and female slaves, so that they bore children. For the Lord had closed all the wombs of the house of Abimelech, because of Sarah, Abraham's wife. Let's pray. <clears throat> Our God, I praise you and thank you for every Sunday morning. Lord, every day is a good day because it is the day that you have made. But Lord, there is a special time here that we spend together. A time where we meet as a family as a body of believers, to seek you, to know you, to hear from you, to worship you. Lord, there really is no greater time. So, Father, I pray that our hearts will be clean before you. Will you forgive us of our sin in Christ, that we may hear you clearly, that our songs and our prayers will be given to you in an acceptable way. Will you be pleased with us? You are the holy and gracious God. And we, like Abraham, are but people. We are but dust. But we thank you that in Christ you do not deal with us as our sins deserve, but that you pour out your grace upon us. So, Father, may we, in return, love you and praise you. For you are a God who is slow to anger and righteous and holy. In Jesus' name, amen.
So as we come out of chapter 19, we have spent three weeks looking at uh, God's judgment upon sin, upon what that looks like, upon uh, really what uh, a small scale of what the final judgment will look like when Jesus returns for his people. We saw that in Sodom and Gomorrah. We saw what happens when humanity decides they want to try to do things in their own knowledge, try to figure out life in their own way with Lot and his daughters. And now we see Abraham. I think in our reading, I'm trying to figure out the time frame, and we don't know for sure. It doesn't say, verse 1, when this happened, but it couldn't have been very long after Sodom and Gomorrah. I say that because Abimelech took Sarah not knowing that she was married. And we know that she's pregnant. So she couldn't have been showing yet. So we're talking maybe a few weeks, maybe a month or two. I don't know. Uh, but, but for a reason not given to us, Abraham leaves where he's been living and he travels south. Now, I, I, I felt it important to remember this, so I'm going to put it on the screen. We need to remember the promise that God gave to Abraham two decades before this, all right? This is the promise that's really, we've been fleshing out of what that means, God's covenant with him. And it said in 12.1, Now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. That's where he's been living for 20 years, in that land, although it's not his yet. And I will make you a great nation. All right? That's a promise. He doesn't have a son yet. <laughs> and I will bless you and make your name great. He has been slowly doing that. So that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you. This is very, very important, especially for today. And him who dishonors you, I will curse. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. That's the great Abrahamic covenant. That's the promise God gave to him. And immediately after that is when we see Abram go down into Egypt and do this exact same thing. <laughs> Lie about Sarah. Pharaoh took his wife. There's a curse upon Egypt. He gets her back. <laughs> and God saves him from this great mess he got himself into. So he goes down. Abrahamic is, Abraham is, is nomadic, right? He's a nomadic shepherd. He's been living in lands of his allies. None of this land is in his name yet. Right? None of it. God has promised there is coming a day when your offspring will have this land, but for now it isn't his. And so he's a wanderer. He's been living in the land of his allies, and for a reason not told to us, he journeys down south in that area. I'm going to show you here. There you can see Gerar down uh, right, right down there. He's been up in like Hebron, up, up near Bethel at times, um, mainly around in Bethel, north of Jerusalem. So he travels down south, again, for a reason not told to us, uh, but we need to find out more about Gerar. Okay, we, what, what, what area is this? It's very important to understand who these people are, who, what these places are. Genesis chapter 10, 19 is telling, remember Genesis chapter 10 is that all the nations that came from Noah's sons, telling us who all came from what uh, son, and it says in the territory of the Canaanites, which are the cursed people, right? These are the cursed ones, cursed be Canaan, right? In the territory of the Canaanites, extended from Sidon in the direction of Gerar, there it is, as far as Gaza, and in the direction of Sodom, Gomorrah, Adma, Zeboim, and as far as as Lasha. So right in the same sentence as Sodom and Gomorrah, do we find Gerar? 
What else do we find out? Well, later on in Genesis, we haven't gotten there yet, says there was a famine in the land. Besides the former famine that was in the days of Abraham, Isaac, which is Abraham's son, went to Gerar, to Abimelech, king of the Philistines. <laughs> you know who the Philistines are, right? <laughs> Goliath was a Philistine. We know a lot more about the Philistines when it comes to King Saul and King David. They're the, the enemies. Let's quickly go back to that map. You see Philistia right on the coast. That's, that's where the Philistines are, right? So they're neighbors, and they are arch enemies of the people of Israel. They will be in the future anyway. So here is Abraham in a town of the Philistines, in a land of Canaan, the cursed people. Now you kind of have an idea a little bit more, maybe of Abraham's viewpoint, as he says, this doesn't seem safe. <laughs> this isn't a safe place for us. And he knew the land of Canaan was going to be a lot of running into all these city-states and all of these kings, and, and he was afraid of them. So then there is a king there, and we have him by the name of Bimelech. Again, probably not his name, probably the title. That's probably what their kings were called, like Pharaoh or Herod. Abimelech was the title. He's a Philistine. And certainly, they did not serve the Lord God there. <laughs> Abraham was right in that. God was not their God. They had idols. They had their own temples. They had their own worship. And Abraham knew, like Egypt, this was hostile territory. So whatever reason he had for going down there, there's probably a good reason. Maybe a famine. Maybe uh, his sheep, you know, they needed to, a new place to go. <laughs> they they out-ate those hills, so they needed somewhere else. And, and so they travel down to Gerar, but it's now outside of their territory, and it's now into enemy territory. Sarah at this time is about 90 years old, right? Which leads a lot of people to question, Abimelech saw her and took her as his wife. She's 90, all right? And, and, and nothing against 90-year-olds. But there is questions that people arise, you know, of all of the people that came in there, why her? Two ideas came forward in my readings. One I didn't like and one I did. Maybe you'll like the other one, I don't know. But God had to do something in her for her to have a baby. So some think that her body was rejuvenated so that she could now become pregnant at 90 and maybe that affected all of her and she seemed younger than she was. That's one I don't like. <laughs> at that time, kings married lots of wives, right? And they didn't do it simply just on attraction. I mean, we learned that from Solomon. Solomon's very first wife was Pharaoh's daughter. Why did he marry her? Political reasons. I think Abimelech knew about Abraham, or at least saw Abraham enter his land, and Abraham at this point has pretty high status. This guy's a wealthy guy. This guy has lots, hundreds of servants, I mean, sheep, you know, all over the hills, and maybe Abimelech was like, I want him as an ally. <laughs> I need that guy on my side. So how do you do that as a king? You marry the sister. <laughs> All right? That's what I think. I think he took Sarah into his harem, political reasons. And again, I'm going to say that I could be way off. <laughs> I, uh, maybe you have other reasons you think, but at least to me it makes sense. 
that at, uh, Abimelech is all about politics. He's a king. He's all about having strength and wealth and prosperity and dominion. And the more people you have on your side, the better. Abraham seemed like a good guy to have on your side. And so he hears, because Abraham said to do it, this woman is his sister. Perfect. I'll take the sister. We'll bring her into the harem. And now I have this covenant, really, between me and Abraham. Right? Listen, this is 20 to 25 years after Abraham has already been in the land. He has seen time and time again how faithful God is to him. How he can rescue him, give him strength. I mean, he has gone to war against the kings of the east and won. <laughs> All right, this, this God truly is his strength and his, and his shelter and his provider. And, and yet, as he's going through this new land and experiencing God, he's doing something extremely foolish. He's going back to the old ways. <laughs> We, we find out here that Abraham had told his wife from the very beginning, before they entered the land of Canaan, listen, this is going to be our plan. Because we're going to come into areas where, where they're not going to like me there. And they're going to kill me. So what we're going to say is, you're my sister, and that's going to help us get through this thing alive. And she agreed to it. That was the old plan. And we go, Abraham, how dumb can you be 25 years later and you're still doing the old plan? <laughs> You've experienced God in new ways. He has shown himself to you. He's proven himself to you. Why are you still doing it the old way? And God pointed at my heart and goes, is there anything in your life you're still doing the old way? <laughs> Josh, I've proven myself to you. <laughs> I have shown my faithfulness to you. I have shown the power I have. And you're still trying to figure things out the old earthly way? <laughs> Come on. <laughs> Abraham fell into that same thing where he's still doing things the old way. So now they're in a real mess as they had been before where God had told them a nation is going to come from you and it's going to be from the baby that you're going to have with Sarah. He's told them. Like this, this is not from a, a slave girl. This is not in any other way. This is you too having a baby and that's going to become this great nation. And now his wife has been taken from him again. There's no possible way he's going to be able to get her back. God is going to have to rescue him again. And so God visits Abimelech in the dream. And, and, and God just cuts right to the chase. I mean, he, he scares him silly. Abimelech, you're a dead man. <laughs> That'd wake me up. How about you? <laughs> You're a dead man. The, the woman you just took is a married woman. And she's married to one of my prophets. <laughs> and because of that, I am going to visit death upon your household. And so it says that he says, you know, I, I didn't know. The man lied to me. He deceived me. And I love how he's using the word integrity in, a, in, in an act such as this. <laughs> as a king, that would have been absolutely normal. In his worldview, that was integrity. <laughs> God didn't argue that with him. 
He just says, I know. I know it wasn't your fault. I know who's to blame, as he side-eyes Abraham. <laughs> he says, make it right. Go to the man, and he's going to pray for you. And he's going to bless your home. Abimelech gets up the next morning. I think this was even more of a priority than his morning coffee. <laughs> he skipped everything, went right to taking care of this, obviously. <laughs> so he tells his household about it. He tells his servants about it. And it says in verse 8, the men were very much afraid. What did our king just do? Because they know they're in trouble too. They are counted as one of his household. They are now under the judgment of this prophet's God who can visit in dreams and can close wombs and can take life whenever he wants. So Abimelech, first thing in the morning, calls Abraham to him. Sends servants out, gets him, brings him in. Sits him down. What have you done to us? What have you done to us? And how have I sinned against you that you have brought on me and my kingdom this great sin? Why have you done this to us? Remember the promise. Remember what I just read. God promised to Abraham, those who dishonor you, I will curse. Right? Period. It didn't say, those who dishonor you on purpose, <laughs> those who know they're cursing you, I will curse. It just says flat out, those who curse you, I will curse. Certainly, Abimelech did that. He has dishonored the family. He has taken Abraham's wife away, who is now carrying his child. <laughs> this is a dishonor upon God's chosen family. Thus, a curse has fallen upon the house of Abimelech. And Abimelech looks at Abraham and goes, what did I ever do to you? <laughs> Why'd you do this to me? It's very important to note. It's very important to note. And it's something that we can read right over. It's at the end of verse 6. God says to Abimelech, Therefore, I did not let you touch her. That is a key phrase. <laughs> We know from the Bible that she's already pregnant with Abraham's baby. But if Abimelech had been allowed to touch her, there would be question forever and ever. Is Isaac really his? Is Isaac really the chosen one? Maybe he's half Philistine. Do you see how that could have really messed up all of redemption history? Because if Isaac's not fully Abraham and Sarah's, then Jesus is illegitimate too. Because he's not of the promise of God. So in God's mercy, in God knowing the beginning and the end of redemption history, he keeps Abimelech away from Sarah so that there is no question. There is no question whose baby it is and whose genes he carries. Right? That's, it's so important <laughs> that to keep that bloodline pure. And so he keeps her away from him, and now they're confronting one another. 
And, and we just see it all. We, I mean, we see it all. The Proverbs is so clear to us. The king's heart is a stream of water in the hand of the Lord, and he turns it wherever he will. Abimelech, in his heart, in his mind, thinks, I have a lot of power. I can touch whatever woman I want. I can have whatever woman I want. If I see her and I want her, she's mine. And God says, want to bet? <laughs> want to bet? There is one who's sovereign over you. And I, my will be done. And it says, wherever he turns a king's heart, it will be done. And so Abimelech is only kept from Sarah because God kept him from her. But there's this confrontation. Of the king confronting Abraham, rightfully so. You have brought upon my kingdom a sin. We're being punished by God because of you. Here's a warning. <laughs> May we never think that our sin will go unnoticed by the Lord of heaven. Abraham's sin did far more than affect just him, didn't it? Suddenly there's a whole palace of people under God's wrath because Abraham lied. So may we never think that our own personal sins will just only personally affect us. That it's no one else's business what I do. Oh, it's everyone's business what we do, especially as a local church. May we never think that our sin will go unnoticed by God. It may go unnoticed by everybody else, but God knows. And it affects others. Take that warning. May we run from sin because it doesn't just ruin us. It ruins all. It ruins everybody. Sins have consequences. And oftentimes, other people will suffer for them. The Lord Jesus became sin for us on the cross. Our sin affected heaven because heaven is compassion and grace and mercy. His love compelled him to come and substitute himself for us. As our sin was worthy of death, he came with great love and compassion and saw us dying in our sin, unable to rescue ourselves, and he became sin as he was nailed to that cross and died in our place. And so anytime we have the thought, oh, this sin isn't really much, I, I pray that God will show us the cross and go, it's a lot. Because you, that little sin made me send my son for you and die for you. But sins... Though they may eternally be taken away from us, the punishment, sins still have punishment today, don't they? It says, and have you forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons? My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when reproved by him. For the Lord disciplines the one he loves and chastises every son whom he receives. So every Christian, everyone who is forgiven of sin, when we sin in this life, he says, as a kind and loving father, I will discipline you still, so that you will learn. 
I can't help but believe that it's this pagan king that's talking to Abraham, confronting Abraham, but I can't help but believe that it's God, really, that's speaking through the king. Abraham, what have I done to make you do such a thing? Why didn't you trust me? I I have shown my power over all these nations, and you still don't trust me when you walk into the land of Philistia? You, You don't trust me? Why would you do such a foolish thing to your wife? The mother of your child. Is my arm too short to save you? Have I ever been unfaithful to you? You know, part of me just hoped that Abraham would just fall and say, I am a sinner before the living God. But Abraham's response in this is absolutely repulsive. It just is. He doesn't repent. He doesn't admit faults. In fact, he just starts casting blame. First one he blames. Abraham said, verse 11, I did this because I thought there's no fear of God at all in this place, and they'll kill me because of my wife. The first one he blames is Abimelech. (laughs) I did it because you are such a rotten person. (laughs) I did it because I don't trust you. I did it because you have no fear of my God, so you could kill me. (laughs) It's a pathetic answer. It really is. He says, and then he says, plus... It wasn't really a lie. She's my half-sister, right? I mean, I omitted part of it. (laughs) I omitted the part that she is my wife, and obviously it was a lie. He said it the way he said it, to deceive all those who would see them and know them. But he's trying to get around it, and then there's the catch here. But listen to the book of James first. As it is, you boast in your arrogance. All such boasting is evil. So whoever, look at this, whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, for him it is sin. For sin, we often think of the things that we do that are wrong. God says there's a lot of things that you don't do that you're supposed to do, and that's equally as sinful. It's the sins of omission instead of commission. Abraham didn't tell the truth. He should have said She's my wife, and didn't do it, withheld that information. And the book of James would say, Abraham, that is a sin before God. But look what he says at the end. As long, I mean, if we didn't think his answer couldn't get any worse. Verse 13, and when God caused me to wander, this is the plan that I put into place. When, worst He actually blames God. God caused me to go to a dangerous place. He caused me to be here. So I had to come up with a way to survive. The Hebrew word for wander here is not a positive one. In fact, the base root of it is to be in error. Fools wander, the Bible says. Baby birds without food wander, other passages say. It can be a word translated in English as deceived, misled, led to ruin, and staggered. And he just said, my God caused me to do this. So I had to do this. You see how outrageous of a comment he just made? He blamed Abimelech 
He justified his lie, and then he just blamed God. But for those who are reading Genesis, that shouldn't be a surprise. For what did our father Adam do? When he sinned and God confronted him, the man said, the woman you gave me, God, made me do this. God, if you hadn't sent this woman to me, I probably wouldn't have sinned. Adam did the same thing. God, you caused me to. You did this. You set me up. From Adam to Abraham, folks, our natural response when we are confronted with sin is to find someone else to blame, even if it's God himself. If God hadn't set me this path in my life, if God hadn't caused this to happen in my life, if I hadn't lost my job, or if I hadn't had to move, or if this person hadn't died, or if this, 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 I wouldn't have had to do that. See how outrageous that sounds now? God has been only faithful and good to him. He's the one who chose not to have faith and believe and trust. As we end here, the hard part, I think, of this story is the end part, verses 14 through 18, because Abimelech gives Abraham a bunch of more wealth, animals, servants, money. Abraham blesses him. The curse is removed from Abimelech's house. And it looks like, it looks like Abraham gets off scot-free. In fact, he just got a lot more wealthier because of his sin. What do we do with that? <laughs> well, let's get into our application, and I hope we can see why that happened. First and foremost, though, let's learn from Abimelech. Abimelech actually showed the fruit of repentance. He had sinned against the God of Abraham, and instead of just saying sorry, he gave Abraham all this stuff. That's the fruit of repentance, right? That's what John the Baptist said. Bear fruit in keeping with repentance. And do not begin to say to yourselves, we have Abraham as a father. For I tell you, God is able from these stones to raise up children. For Abraham, every now, every, even now the axe is laid to the root of the trees. Every tree, therefore, that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. The Bible teaches that if we are to repent of our sin, it takes a lot more than just being emotional and saying sorry. That those who are truly repentant in their heart will have a lifestyle change, and if they have wronged anyone, they go and they make that right. That's true biblical repentance. We think of, of the tax collector and and. He's forgiven by Jesus for his sins, and he's robbed so many people in all of his life. So he goes, not just pays back what he stole from them, but ten times more. Paying back what he has robbed of people, because he is now, Jesus has forgiven him. We are not saved of our sin if there's no fruit from our repentance. God knows our heart, whether we have truly confessed our sin or not. Abimelech shows good Repentance. Isn't that crazy that in this story we're seeing biblical uh, truths from Abimelech and not Abraham? Abimelech showed the fruit of repentance. We also need to know this. Abraham's acquired wealth and ability to pray to God was not a reward. <laughs> Never think that. 
Abimelech, or I'm sorry, Abraham receiving all these goods, an ability to pray for another man as a prophet was not a reward. He never earned that status. He never earned those things. All right? That's the first thing we need to realize. This did not happen this way because God was pleased with Abraham's actions. God was not. God was not pleased with his actions. So this was not a reward. The Lord is merciful and gracious. Background to Psalm 103 again. Slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. He will not always chide, nor will he keep his anger forever. He does not deal with us according to our sins, nor repay us according to our iniquities. And that psalm made it very clear. He's talking about only those who fear the Lord, who believe him, who trust in him. And here's where we get to why he was blessed. The Lord's faithfulness to the covenant is why Abraham is blessed. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Why was Abraham blessed in that moment? Because 25 years ago, God told Abraham, I will bless you. No strings attached, not if you do well, not only when you're obedient, not only when you're faithful, I will do that. That's my word, my promise. And I tell you what, we who are Christians are in that new covenant in Christ. We're in a covenant with God who says, I have blessed you from heaven with every single spiritual blessing. And I am so happy it's not just true when I'm obedient. (laughs) Right? I'm so glad it's not only when I'm faithful because so many times I'm not. God says, I am blessing you because I said I would. (laughs) You see, Abraham acquiring wealth and acquiring all of this is really setting up the the offspring and the nation that God promised would come. God is working forward his plan. It's not a reward for Abraham. It's simply he's receiving what God said he would already do. Don't ever think that we can earn God's favor. That his blessing somehow came to me because I'm more good than bad. (laughs) That I've done more things obediently than I have uh, disobediently, which is probably most likely 100% not true. We can justify our sin just like Abraham can, but it doesn't make it true. But praise be to God that he doesn't repay us for what we deserve. He gives us what we don't deserve. So maybe like you, as I'm reading chapter 20, you're like, man, that's not fair. Why did Abraham seem like he got off scot-free? That's not fair. Yeah, grace isn't fair. That's why we call it amazing. (laughs) That's why we call it amazing. That we can sit here as children of God with absolute hope in Christ that he is ours and we are his and that there is an eternity of a wealthy kingdom waiting for us, thrones for us to sit on, that we can be in his presence, in his glory forever and ever without a, without a care, without a tear, without an illness, without anything like that, only because he said he would, <laughs> Period. So as we come together for communion, 
This is for those who are in Christ because it's the blood and it's the body of Christ represented. That the new covenant came through the blood of Jesus. Jesus. 